Scripture today comes from Genesis 4, starting at the first chapter. Seldom used in public worship is this text, but well known to many of us. It is the story of the brothers Cain and Abel. Now the man, who was Adam, knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced the man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain, the tiller of ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, 
and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. The answer to that is yes, you are your brother's keeper. And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the grave. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer sevenfold vengeance, and the Lord will put the mark of Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. And Cain went away from the presence of the Lord settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And in the 10th chapter of John, the 7th verse, Jesus is speaking. Many think that the 10th verse of this 10th chapter is John's word to us on why Jesus is with us. And it goes like this. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to him. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you take away nothing from today, take away this. Ours is a God of abundance. Of abundance. God wants ultimately for us to have that which we need. And God gives it to us. In abundance. When Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, Jesus is revealing the very character and nature of God. Ours is a God of abundance. And if I were to take that Bible and start at Genesis 1-1 and go all the way through to Revelation 
in the very end. I could walk you through the salvation history of the people of God and demonstrate to you that ours is a God of abundance. Perhaps the best story to tell you that is the story of God providing manna in the desert. You know that story. Even in the midst of being punished from God, when the people are wandering about in the desert, God says, I will not let you starve. I will not even let you question whether or not I love you. I will provide for you. And every morning when the people wake up, they go out and there is manna manifest all over the ground for them to pick up and eat. But you must notice in that story about manna what happens there because it gives us a sense of what godly abundance means as opposed to what we now have come to understand as abundance. When the people go to get manna, they can only get enough for themselves and their families. There's not more, so if they want to throw a tremendous dinner party that they can offer three times as much as they might need. No, if they collect more than they need, it rots and goes away. On Sunday, God has said to them, you may not work. So on Sunday, they're allowed to collect more on the Sabbath but not more than they need. You see, we think, when we think abundance, we think, oh, I've got to have a bigger house. I've got to have a bigger boat. I've got to have a fancier car. I've got to have my kids in the best schools. That's what abundance is. But God, in the Bible, knows, says, no, abundance is knowing that I, the Lord, your creator, your savior, have given you all you need. It's having enough, not too much. It's not keeping up with the Joneses, but realizing that God has given us just enough. Many of you know that for eight years, I worked in the toy store. Several of those, I was the human resources director in the fifth largest toy store in this country. But even then, I got to work on the retail floor with the children. And when I moved back here to St. Clairsville, I was just a peon who did regular retail worker stuff which meant I interacted with the kids and their parents all the time. And inevitably, we would have a kid come in and see the newest, the best, the coolest, the fanciest toy, and he would say, I really need that. And I would say, do you need it? Or do you want it? And they'd go, In 
biblical terms, abundance is God's providing what we need. I cannot tell you the number of times I have had people come into my office to counsel with me whose lives were in shambles, people whose kids wouldn't speak to them or marriages were falling apart or were suffering with addiction or whatever was going on in their lives and they'd say to me, but, and I'd say, well, what, You've, there's got to be something positive in your life. What's positive in your life? I woke up with a, a roof over my head. I have food in my belly. I still have an education so I can get a job. Those are the things of God's abundance. Now, in the church, there are places where we know and proclaim that ours is a God of abundance. You saw last week, and thanks for watching all the way from Aruba, by the way. I don't know that I've ever had anybody listen to me from Aruba. Your pastor is now an internationally known preacher. Last week, we put the pictures of the kids being baptized up there. And I used, I just, I'll tell you frankly, I used the children as a way to demonstrate to you that we have a future here in this church. We have passed on a vision to one another that has been passed down to us, and we will pass it on to those children. We are passing it on to those children. They know that something exciting is happening with our accordion. They got the instrument wrong, but they got the excitement right. At baptism, we proclaim that ours is a God of abundance, a God who claims us into the family of faith as beloved children and equips us with spiritual gifts. In the Eucharist, if you'll listen, there is an ancient formula that always appears somewhere in the communion liturgy that runs through the whole of salvation history from Genesis and creation, through the prophets, through the salvation through Christ, to his coming again. Listen for it the next time we have communion. It is a demonstration of the fact that our God is a God of, of abundance who provides for us generously and graciously. Both require the confession of our sins and trust in God's mercy. We find our identity in Jesus Christ in those two sacraments. Our true community we find as we enter into the church through baptism and are united in the church in in, with the church in communion united with the community we fellowship with the community of the body of Christ which by the way is another of God's abundant gifts
Christian life, you might know, requires certain spiritual disciplines or habits of Christian living, prayer, gratitude, self-examination, self-emptying, self-discipline, self-offering. And by the way, if you go through our worship liturgy, all of them are in there. Live spiritual community, which is fellowship. And they come together in public worship. Y'all, you know, I didn't know what I was going to get when I asked the children what they think of church and why they come here. But we've got some budding little theologians here, you know. Somebody has taught Kendall Cain that Jesus is happy with her when she comes to church, when she sings, when she's nice to her friends. Those aren't bad lessons. Maybe I'll write a book. Everything I needed to know, I learned in the children's sermon. The place we show that ours is a God of abundance is public worship here today. It's not the only place. I'm going to talk later about how the way that we live demonstrates that. Because if we live as people who know that our needs are covered and that our wants are just our wants, it changes our whole perspective on life. We live much simply, more simply and happily than we might otherwise. Remember that the underlying theology of public worship is the Shema, which Israel always said. They, it was so important to them that they put it on their doorways and they would touch it to remind themselves of, the, of it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And Jesus, Jesus added, worship him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and all your might. And Jesus also answered, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's why we come here. To worship the Lord with our whole selves. Do you understand the Cain and Abel story? It's very hard to understand. And for years, I thought that the reason that God rejected Cain was because God just doesn't like vegetarians. Nobody, nobody thought that was funny, not anybody. It is strange, though. They both come to an altar and offer God sacrifices And God rejects one and accepts the other. Why would God do that? Why would the God of abundance do you hear this little one? Church is a place they can never throw you out. Why would a God who loves you enough to know that he's not going to throw you out ever reject a sacrifice. You have to read that text 
very, very carefully to get it. Cain brought some of his crops before God. Abel brought the first fruits, the fatling, the best parts, the very first thing that Abel does is bring God his best. Cain brings some stuff. Abel brings the best. Oh, Cain comes to worship, but Abel comes giving his all. His mind, his soul, his spirit, his might. Y'all, when we come to worship, we come to pray and to praise, to scream and to cry, which is okay, because God can handle it, believe me. And to sing and to find fellowship, to confess, and to be forgiven because ours is a God of abundance. Thanks be to God. Amen.